Lasting Media. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. I'm JP. I'm JD. And I'm D-Rock. And you're listening to the only whiskey podcast dedicated to blind tastings under 50 bucks. We go past the labels and beyond the marketing to vote on our favorite pours without bias or breaking the bank. Welcome to the Blue Collar Bourbon Show. What's up, guys? Hey. Hello, hello. You just thought our time with distilleries were over. Oh, it's not. It's never We're, really over. No. Does it, does it ever have to be over? No, okay. I don't think so. Because today we have the owner, president, and co-founder of New Rift Distilling, Ken Lewis, with us. Hey, Welcome, Ken. Ken. Welcome to me. <laughs> <laughs> how's, uh, how's Kentucky today? Kentucky is beautiful today. We're at a time when uh, so much of the rest of the country is getting hammered from uh, everything biblical. I know, right? <laughs> we have biblical. a magnificent day going on in Paris. <laughs> everything biblical. That's a great way yeah. to put it. So we're on Zoom with you right now, but are you at the distillery or at your house right now? No, oh, I'm at the distillery. I've been coming in, uh, you know, uh, all through COVID and so forth. We've mm-hmm. been keeping very safe to keep our production going. That's the last thing we would want is something to happen to make our production go down. But uh, I've I'm not a work-from-home kind of guy. Yeah. yeah. Can understand that. Oh, yeah. Are you guys currently having tours during this whole time of COVID? We started doing limited tours only when we're not in full production. Because the mantra around here is, you know, protect the production team at all costs. Right. So with the distilling and bottling and shipping, so the cash flow keeps going. Yeah. Um, so we're being ultra-careful and... and and, of course, we've eliminated almost all, if not all, the events. We used to be a big wedding destination mm-hmm. before, but you really don't want a bunch of people in the, you know, outside of the lobby very much. Yeah. Well, let's start off. Can you can you give us a little bit of backstory on yourself? Um, what? How did you get into the whiskey game? How did you get into the whiskey industry? What, what, what does that look like? Sure. Uh, I, I'm... I have to admit that I'm a, a, a crazy old veteran of this crazy business. I uh, was a retailer for 38 years. Wow. And, ah, okay. Like before starting New Riff. And uh, I founded and created a store, a chain, but ultimately kept went down to a single store, which is called The Party Source. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's right across from Cincinnati, where I'm sitting right now. Looking out the window, I, I see it. I still own the building. And, uh, you know, that is one of, uh, I, I'd like to think, one of the truly great independent alcoholic beverage stores in the United States. And so I've got a long history. I go back to the mid-70s to, to being in this business and watched all the, a lot of legal things have changed and, uh, you know, saw the 
bourbon boom happening <laughs> as a retailer. And I was a spirits buyer, you know, at a store in Kentucky in the Cincinnati Metro. And I watched the bourbon boom happen. And just after about 35 plus years in the being a retailer, which gets pretty old, that's hard work. <laughs> work their butts off. Yeah. And, you know, seven days a week and holidays and so forth. Um, you know, it, it started as a bit of a fanciful idea to start with, but got realer, more real, and uh, thought about uh, becoming a manufacturer, getting into the distillery part of the game. So went ahead with that vision about eight years ago and sold the store, the party source, to my employees. Hmm. Uh, it's called an ESOP, an Employee Stock Ownership Plan, and they operate it today very successfully. So That's I'm awesome. very proud of So. We're right next to each other. My property, you know, it's all one property. I own all the property. Uh, I had to get out of the retail store because of licensing, the three-tier system. Right. Um, but it's worked out very, very well. And um, uh, so here I am today, uh, you know, in the distillery business. I thought it was going to be kind of a, oh, this, this shouldn't be very hard. <laughs> I was just about to ask, like, how do you, how do you share that vision with, like, friends, family, like... I'm going to go start a distillery. Like, what does that conversation look like? Well, the first, the first friends, family, anybody in business advising me, the first thing is, are you out of your blank and mind? <laughs> <laughs> I own, it's physically the largest single alcohol store in the United States. It's over 100,000 yeah. square feet. It was a $40 million a year store when I sold it to my employees. And I owned it at that point after all those years, uh, I owned it without any debt. Not wow. even any real estate debt. So it was a cash cow. Yeah. So anybody on the outside would look at you and go, what? The? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so because as you guys know, you know, distilling is all about deferred gratification. And it's a tremendous ongoing capital investment. Yeah. So, you know, walked away from being cash well off. Yeah. But, you know, a little tired overall and maybe not challenged into something that uh, has grown and grown and the vision has grown and that means capital expenditures keep growing and mm. deferred gratification keeps getting further deferred. And But I love it. It's, yeah. it's, it's great. It's reawakened me and given me a, I'm sorry to do this to you guys. It's given me a new riff on my life. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You it fits the, right in. Yeah. You, you own the company. It's fair. You can make a joke like that. Uh, so you guys started in 2014. Is that right? Yeah, that's when we actually opened the doors. Of course, it was two or three years before that of all the planning and construction. Mm -hmm. And then your first product, was that the OKI brand? Well, that was that was a uh, filler, so to speak. Gotcha. A, a, a placekeeper. I had been fortunate as a retailer. Oh, I'm going to say if that was 14, you know, about 2008, you know, six years or so before we opened, I had been offered through MGP, which is only, you know, 20 or 30 miles from us here. Mm -hmm. We knew all the folks there, and they said Pernod Ricard was interested in selling some barrels. And as a retailer, I bought about 350 barrels. Wow. Jeez, wow. Good MGP juice. Well, here's the crazy thing. They had over 3,000 barrels. Wow. Old dumb Ken bought only 350 of oh, them. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, because it seemed like a lot of money at the time. It was like $400 a barrel. Yeah. No, I mean, wow. today, <laughs> wow. you know, you'd be paying you know, yeah. 1500 or 2000 yeah. for it because it was already a couple years old when I bought it. So I left it there at MGP, 
and thought, you know, well, I'll have a private brand someday when it gets old enough uh, at the store. That was a great idea, and it was good. But I still had them when the distillery started. So we took those barrels, and they we started at eight. Uh, when we opened in 14, they were eight years old. Wow. And uh, that gave us some older whiskey. Because, you know, when people come in and they do a tour or something, you have this beautiful distillery, you're chatting, you know, they know intellectually that you're way too young to have old bourbon. Yeah, right? they're doing the math. Right. <laughs> but they still want to, you know, drink old bourbon at the end of the tour or mm. whatever, talk it or, you know. So it was great because that kept kept us in stock for four years with some interesting bourbon to talk about. And it, and it is indeed a mash bill extremely similar to our own. So there was a nice conjunction with that. Mm-hmm. And then, But it was deliberate that at the time that we had our own product, that brand was to die or go away. Mm-hmm. So now somebody else has taken over that namesake and producing the OKI product. Yeah, I sold or, or you know worked out a deal with an ex a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. It's very exciting. He's the guy that was involved a little bit in starting Uncle Remus, mm. which is a, a brand that NGP later purchased. Mm-hmm. And he's got a little bug about the, the distilling business and kind of beat me up over it, you know, <laughs> wore me down. And we let him have it, but there's no connection to New Riff at this point at all. And he's, he's purchased some uh, MGP product and is selling, selling a little bit of it in Kentucky. At this mm-hmm. point. I'm not sure if it's actually gone out or not. I don't okay. think it all right, cool. All right, so can we get whatever the origin story is on the name? Where, where did where did New Riff come from? Where where's the brainstorm behind that? Sure. Um, well, our first name, we ended up getting into a uh, trademark dispute. It was supposed to be Nth Degree. Hmm. Okay. Nth Degree was going to be the name of the story, and we published it. You know, with trademark and you publish it, and there's a waiting period to see if anyone rejects. Turned out that there was a company owned by a very wealthy individual in Las Vegas. And the nth degree company specialized in taking people on like these crazy whiskey experiences, mostly scotch, Hmm. out of Las Vegas. For instance, they would get like $1,000 bottles of scotch and get like eight wealthy people and put them in a big helicopter and take them to the top of the mountain and do a tasting. Wow. Wow. <laughs> no comment. <I'm> right. right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so when that guy objected to our trademark, I went, mm, I think he got a little more money than yeah, I Yeah, I'm not going not gonna to pick that fight. We gave up real fast. Yeah. So we needed a name. Uh, we started with, and the name we came up with was Riff. The new just got added later. And the idea of the Riff, which we still love, you know, it's a it's a it's a musical expression, as you know. And right. Mm-hmm. That's the idea that you uh, you you believe very strongly, and you know, if you're wanting to learn to play the guitar, you know, maybe you're a Peter Frampton person or whatever. And when you do your own little riffing down in the basement on it, it's it's a it's a homage a homage to the to the artists that you love. Mm-hmm. You want to take where they started, and you want to put your own little twist on it, and that's the way we feel about the bourbon tradition. It's like, 180 years before us, we're very humble in the face of that. Uh, there's great whiskey made uh, in Kentucky, has been for decades and decades. And currently, there's great distilleries. We just want to do our riff, yeah. our little independent riff on that. And so we thought that was a nice name. The new, honestly, was marketing just felt like it was a better name. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I love new origin stories. Yeah. Instead of just riff distillery, new riff. That's cool. And that definitely resonates with us here in Nashville. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
So take us through the products that you guys are currently producing. Sure. We, we are in Kentucky, and we see ourselves as a classic, long-term, independent, uh, family-owned whiskey distillery. And so the tradition, of course, here is sour mash. Mm-hmm. And we clearly make bourbon as our number one product. But our mentor in this whole process was a, name, was a person that you may be familiar with, Larry Ebersole. And Larry had, had been recently retired when I met him from the old uh, Seagram's plant. Hmm. And he was the head distiller at Seagram's for like 25 years. And Larry is like maybe the best distiller in modern history that you've never, or many people have not heard about. Right. Hmm. Uh, and he ran Seagram's for 25 years. They were always known for quality. He invented the 95.5 rye mash bill. Wow. And they did it at that time because all the rye in Crown Royal was coming out of the Seagram's plant in Lawrenceburg, Indiana, you know, 30 miles from here. Hmm. And they would ship it up to Canada. That's where the rye whiskey came. And they wanted to get more bang for the buck out of their ingredients. So he kept experimenting, and he's the one who brought them up to a 95% rye. Um, when he took it over, he, you know, they were at more like a 55 or 60% rye. In the, in the whiskey base, they were shipping to Canada. Anyway, he perfected that recipe that, as you guys know, still to this day inhabits a heck of a lot of the rye whiskey that's, that's out there being yeah. sold. And Larry had recently retired, and I think he'd worked for the successor for a little while, but he was living in Hebron, which is where our airport is here, and looking for his first consulting gig, and I met him, and really it was just meant to be. It was a fantastic relationship. And so we became very rye-oriented, and it fit our taste profile and interest anyway. So we were a high rye whiskey, a bourbon from the very beginning. That was our desire. And we really wanted to make a great rye whiskey as well. Because as you guys know, rye is a very stubborn and difficult grain to work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it brings out the best in the distilling team that can pull it off. And Larry was our mentor and he taught us some of the great black arts of making <laughs> rye whiskey. And that's to this day our two mainstays, our high rye bourbon. And our 95.5 rye, one of the twists we did is we have substituted, you may know this, 5% malted rye for malted barley. So we are 100% rye. Mm. And very unusual, as you, you all know. Mm-hmm. You'll see a lot of ryes in the, you know, that are just 55 or 60% rye, you know, or a little higher. It's very unusual to be 100% yeah. whiskey because the grain is such a pain in the ass to deal with. So, yeah. um, you know, it's sticky and gummy and, and problematic and, and a spoiled child a little bit. So <laughs> I've one of those. Know, we, oh, wait. That, those are our two main products, our, our high rye bourbon and our 100% rye. And then, of course, we have a very aggressive single barrel program, which you mm-hmm. already alluded to, uh, with both of those products. Mm-hmm. And to, to round it all out, those are our core expressions. And as you know, we've been putting out a few specialty things, very careful innovations, uh, that are not like Baskin and Robbins 31 flavors. We mm-hmm. don't believe in that. They need to be thoughtful innovations that make some sense. And we've done some interesting things with Balboa, which is an heirloom rye. We've, we've done a, a project we call the Backsetters. Backset, we could talk about any of those if you wanted. Mm-hmm. But we're doing very careful kinds of innovations 
And they won't be one-offs. We'll repeat them, but they'll be extremely limited. Mm-hmm. We have 100% malted rye, which is going to be coming out in the spring, things of that nature. But our two core products are our bourbon and Cool. Speaking of, they were kind enough to send us a bottle of each oh, of those. Yes. <laughs> and we have poured the bourbon. Now, truth be told, we've had all of this before. So this <laughs> we're not going into this blind like we normally do. No, we're going into this bias. Yes, like complete. I was saying earlier. We're we're predisposed. We're already fans. We've bought in. We are new riff fans. So this is not a new note for us. We know these songs. Oh, oh here we man. go. Okay. <laughs> and Ken, you're welcome to join us since it's technically uh, okay for you to drink at work. So there yeah, we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey. All right. I'm going in. Cheers. 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 To the bourbon. Now, Ken, correct me if I'm wrong, but is this flagship bourbon a double gold winner? Is that is that right? Yes. Uh, it's San Francisco, which, you know, arguably is the most prestigious competition. You know, we, we eschewed, we're in it for the long haul. I think, you know, you talk about what are distinguishing characteristics I think the fact that we're a pretty good sized distillery, we can make up to 8,000 barrels a year. And, you know, we have a 24 inch column still. We're a pretty good sized distillery. Um, and unusually, we are independent and family owned and 100%. We're going to stay that way because, you know, we're not trying to grow to, be, to sell this place. That's not what we're about. If I'd wanted just to make money, I never would have left the party source. Uh-huh. This is really about making a legacy and becoming one of the great small distilleries of the world. And it just is going to take time. And I think that financial and familial independence is what can allow us over years to keep expanding our portfolio and getting older and older whiskeys and become truly a great world uh, distillery. And that's that's truly what our aim is. Mm. Well, this stuff is fantastic. I mean... The single barrel stuff that we've had from area local area stores is off the charts. Believe it or not, better than this. But this, I mean, just the standard product is fantastic. So yeah, and the water comes from right underneath the distillery. I see. Oh, does it really? Yeah, the water source is is important, and as you guys know, there's so little that actually goes into a mash bill. You know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, it's grains and it's water, and and yeast. So. When, when building the distillery, and it actually was serendipitous, it was not a brilliant stroke on anyone's part, someone along the way, we were actually in early construction, and someone commented, a local person just commented to us, um, you know, are you going to have any problem with the, the water table? You know, because we're right next to the Ohio River. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, it's right there. I could throw a rock in it. A small rock, but I could throw it in it. <laughs> You know, they said, you know, you're close to the water table. Are you worried at all? And, I don't know. We don't know anything about that. But it got us thinking, and that I had an engineer working with us, a civil engineer, and I asked him about it. And, you know, we were planning just to be on Newport City Water, just like almost every other distillery in Kentucky is on city water or river water, and they just neutralize it, you know, make it completely neutral. Uh-huh. Um, and we were planning to do the same. And he said, well, I'll look into it a little bit. It kind of interests him, and, and it it was easy to find out that actually we are sitting on what's called the Ohio River alluvial plain. And all, it, it, as a layman, what I can say is it just means there's this vast amount of water that is under us because we're right next to the Ohio River. And the glacier stopped and 
at Cincinnati, the Seven Hills of Cincinnati, it's very hilly over there, um, and created the Ohio River. And that ge geologic pressure is still to this day pushing a tremendous amount of water under the river. Huh. And it's being naturally filtered through sand and silt. And the other thing is we're also in a valley because going up into Kentucky, if you ever drive there, you go way up the hills. It's quite a climb. And all that water and pressure is coming the other way. So we're between these two pressure sources, and it's going through sand and silt under the river. And this entire whole hillsides all the way up into uh, Kentucky are all limestone. So we have naturally filtered water under us, this vast, incalculable amount of water. We went down, we did an exploratory well. We went 100 feet, and it turned out well. The, the lab analysis came back. It had no iron, no sulfur, none of the stuff that would absolutely make it unusable for whiskey making. Comes out at 500 uh, gallons per minute. Wow. And it's 58 degrees year-round. Huh. So we, we have this amazing water source, and it's extremely hard, high mineral dense, calcium, limestone, water. And you can drink it. And we have a pipe in the distillery for tours where we let people taste it. And you don't want to drink it because it's so hard, but it's, it's potable right out of the ground. And that's wow. what goes into our mash bill, and I think it's quite distinguishing compared to every other distillery in Kentucky that's on river or city water. That's awesome. So are your grains local or are they sourced elsewhere? They're reasonably local Okay. for the bourbon. Our, our corn comes from the Fogg family farm, which is about 100 miles from here, 80 miles, about 80 miles in Indiana. It's the same large farm but family-owned that supplies Four Roses, for instance. That's where our corn comes. So it's Indiana okay. corn. Uh, but our rye does come generally speaking, from Europe. Hmm. Although we have released, as you know, Balboa, we've released heirloom rye from Kentucky and Tennessee and so forth. But in general, our rye does come from overseas. Speaking of rye. We're moving on to rye. Should we pour the rye? Let's do it. Okay. B. We actually have to open this one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, we're opening the rye, can you tell us a little bit about the peated things yeah, you've got? I think, is that the back center? We call it backsetter. It's one of our careful, cautious innovations. You know, we want the innovations to mean something. And this is an interesting story. Again, it's, it's, it's being humble and, and, and learning from what's happening, what the whiskey is teaching you and what the environment and the, you know, and the fermentation process is teaching you. To make a long story short, a couple of years ago, the tasting panel, and we have some great distillers, and they, we taste, for instance, every single barrel, every single single barrel and do notes on them and so forth. And we taste, you know, a lot of what's going into the blends. And they picked up out of a particular batch, and our fermentation batches are only 13 barrels. And they picked up out of a particular batch that was four years old, ready to be, to be evaluated as single barrels. They, they picked up some unusual notes of peat. And they didn't, you know, they didn't really know where the heck it was coming from. So they keep meticulous records. They went back historically and looked at what happened in that particular fermentation four years before when it was created. And it, the thing that they were able to piece together and puzzle out was what was interesting was um, that that batch of whiskey had followed immediately behind an experimental batch of peated whiskey huh. that we had made with, with, with peated barley. 
And, you know, we, we are doing a little bit of experimenting with American malt whiskeys, as a number of leading distilleries are doing right now. And that particular bourbon batch fermentation had followed immediately behind a, uh, a, a peated malt fermentation. So where, where the peat in the bourbon was coming from was clearly from the back set. Right. Totally mm-hmm. accidental. And that wouldn't happen in a larger distillery because it's too monolithic, the process. So it's bourbon, 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 bourbon. Yeah. Or it's rye, 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 rye. And so the back set is always the same back set. But mm-hmm. in a little bit smaller, like us, distillery where you might switch from day to day what you're baking, we, we, we suddenly discovered that the back set can actually influence the fermentation, actually, and come all the way through into the final product. Hmm. It was really interesting. Yeah. Some happy so accidents. <laughs> they, we bottled that, and we've decided to repeat that because we like to repeat our innovations. We don't want to do one-offs. Uh, we won't have a lot of them, but it's actually a case. And, and another interesting thing that you guys, as sophisticated as you are about the industry, it allows us to still meet the rules to be called bourbon and rye for that matter. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Which if you were adding it, as you know, you couldn't label it that way. You yep. can no longer call it bourbon because you can't add any, there's no additives. Right. Then we call it rye, you know, if you just added a peat flavor. Mm-hmm. So we're allowed, so this is a, a really interesting organic process that's created an unusual flavor profile, which I think is pretty interesting. You know, the peated uh, bourbon and the peated rye, um, and it still allows it to be technically bourbon and rye. Oh, that's cool. But, that's, that's listening to the whiskey and learning from, from in a serendipitous way from you know, your own process. Yeah. Fun. All right. To the rye. To the rye. To the rye. Cheers. Cheers. What do you think? I mean, again, we're so predisposed to liking New Riff. Definitely love, love the rye. And it's 100% rye, like you were saying. 95 rye, 5% malted rye. Yep. And yet at the same time, and again, I don't have the palate that you guys have, but what, what's nice for me as a, as a layman, it, it, it doesn't have that excessive aggressiveness that a lot of people associate with rye. Yeah. 100% rye, but, I mean, we're drinking it straight, and it's obviously a 100-proof product. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's fine. I mean, it gets a little better with water, by the way. I'm a great believer in adding just a couple of drops mm-hmm. of water. I might do that. Um, but and I will do it too. Um, yeah, that proof definitely that allows you. It's, it's yeah. palatability. We like to say, and and this will not always be true, but for some people it will be true. This is a rye for people that go into it thinking they don't like rye. I know a guy like that because they don't like that aggressiveness and the kicking in the back of the throat kind of quality that the high spice rye will bring. So that's me. I'm that. <laughs> I'm that guy. I'm I'm not a rye guy. And I will say this. That going like the first time I had this rye, I I, I wasn't a huge fan of it, mm. but having it the second time, I will back I will second everything you just said that the knowing that it's a hundred proof product and it's a hundred percent rye and the way that it drinks, this this is a solid rye like it's a, it's a smoother more accessible rye approachable yeah, yeah for sure absolutely yeah I, I I'm digging it and it, you're right with water it's even better yeah it is. Yeah, I, I, I feel very strongly about, I mean, some people, it's anathema to them, but even a small ice cube, but uh, a couple of drops of water. And, and I think it absolutely 
you know, creates this thermic reaction and brings out a lot of the flavor, brings the flavor molecules to the surface. And, and I strongly urge folks to put a couple of drops of water or an ice cube in, in ours. You know, we, I, I got off topic before, but I wanted to, to, to answer the question about that, the San Francisco competition. Um, we deliberately not entered any competitions. We have this long view, and that's how I got off, off story on that, uh, about, about our, our growth of our distillery and our reputation. We'll take as many years as it's going to take. So we waited until we had our four-year products and a good portfolio to send out there. In our very first year, uh, we won five out of five gold medals. Wow. Wow. Man. Of which one of them was uh, double gold. And, you know, in each category, we were in bourbon, we were rye, we were in gin, we were in barrel-aged gin, uh, we were in a single-barrel category. We were up against all the big boys. Yeah. You know, and, and to be, to get golds, it's at five out of five in San Francisco, was in our first entry was pretty amazing. Um, and it gave us the confidence that we're on the right track to becoming a great small story. You know, it's not going not to happen overnight, and uh, you know someone is not going to suddenly you know get the sword from the queen and <laughs> pronounce it done. You know that's not going to happen ever. But it felt very good that we're on the right track, creating a, a very desirable product. And we want to keep the pricing reasonable, mm-hmm. uh, and we want to have enough product to supply markets as we. As we enter them, so and so far we've been able to do that on the bourbon and on the rye. What remind us again? What's what's the retail on these two? Uh, suggested retail on the bourbon is thirty nine ninety nine, and the rye is forty four ninety nine. So we're oh, both yeah. we're both yep. blue, blue collar. collar. We're right in the wheelhouse. Absolutely. I mean these are these are bottom line. These are hundred proof products, non chill filtered. Of course, it's a mantra for us. We never never filter any of our products. And, you know, with higher proof products, you don't have to yeah. mm-hmm. because the, 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 you, you don't have that kind of particle creation when, when you're at 100 proof or mm-hmm. above 95. Actually. What are the official age statements on these two? Well, we don't. They're bottled in bonds. So oh, that's right. They both are bottled. We're, that's right. we're at four. I mean, you could be anything, you know. Sure, but at least four. Bottled in bond. And when we bring out our 100% malted rye, it's going to come out and hopefully around next spring. Uh, yet to be determined, but... Uh, that's going to be a six-year age statement. So we're mm-hmm. gradually always going to be getting older as we get older. It's it's, uh, it's part of that deferred gratification thing that you can do when you don't have yeah. venture capitalists and shareholders screaming at you for money. Um, and we're going to keep reinvesting in the company. And one of the ways we'll do that is for everything to continually get older. And we know that our reputation ultimately will be created by what are we doing at eight year and 10 year and so forth. Mm-hmm. So we actually believe in age statements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're, when you're creating a hundred proof bottled and bond product at thirty nine ninety nine, like that's a niche area there that, I mean, it's, that's kind of hard to compete with. Mm-hmm. Well, especially if you think about it, like there's certain regulations to be, yeah. bought, you know, the certain standard. Yeah. So to compete and offer something unique, still following all those rigorous standards, um, but retaining uniqueness, I love it. Yeah, good stuff. So you. you mentioned uh, you mentioned one new product in the spring possibility. Any any anything else new that you guys might have coming up in the future that we should be aware of or look out for? Be excited well, about. I, I have to be careful because your your podcast will be listened to by you know a marketing person here or you know. <laughs> 
you know, someone else. No, is, no. Whatever you tell us stays between me, us, and you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, a, um, and a few thousand friends. Yeah. <laughs> we we uh, have with our uh, 100% malted rye, I think it's going to be a really big deal. Yeah. Um, again, we're a rye-centric house, distillery. Uh, we know how to deal with it. We're proud of it. We like it. I, there aren't many of those. There are only very, very, very few of them around. And I think it's going to go a long way to kicking our reputation up another notch. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of great bourbons, and we think we make one, but there's a lot of them. There's some great distilleries in Kentucky and elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's a tough area. Rye, I think, is a lot less competitive, although more folks are drinking it all the time. It mm-hmm. is definitely double-digit growth, but much smaller base. But I think it's a real opportunity for us because it's, it's not something that's being focused on by the big global companies. Yep. And uh, there's not quite enough volume for them to really, really, even though they do make some good rides. But I think that's a, a, an area that we can really specialize in. And I think when this 100% malted rye goes, comes out at a six-year, um, and it's going to be reasonably priced, uh, I think folks will sit up and take notice of that. Yeah. It's a really good product. So, yes, there's some other things coming, uh, but we like to focus, you know, more on the here and now, and I think that's about as much of a leash as I'm able to get out <laughs> before I'm going to get choked. Fair enough. Uh, probably wouldn't even want me to talk about that, but with you guys that know your bourbon and you know your, your, your whiskey, I, I, I'm just so excited about yeah. it. Yeah. It just gives us a reason to follow up in spring. Yeah, yeah so. exactly. I mean, that would be absolutely a, a product to talk about and, and where it fits in the, uh, you know, in the innovation cycle of, of extending where we are going with, with rye whiskeys. Cool. One thing I think we need to ask about, tell us about the gin. We have a lot of gin fans. Good. And I'm a gin fan myself. You know, we, we deliberately, for instance, don't make vodka. Mm-hmm. Who needs another $30 vodka? No. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, I'm sorry. I don't mean to step on anyone's toes. And, and I know there's people out there claiming there's terroir with vodka and all these things. But at the end of the day, as federally defined, as you guys know, it's flavorless, tasteless. Yeah. Right. You know, blah, blah, blah. So we're, we're careful about that. It, it doesn't fit our reputation. Gin, on the other hand, does have terroir. It can and really does allow people to strut their stuff, so to speak. So Jay Erisman is my co-founder. He's not a co-owner, but a co-founder. Very, very bright guy, knows a lot about world whiskey and has a fantastic palate. Um, and he was my specialty spirits buyer at the party source uh, for many years. So he's actually our gin maker. And uh, I think the distinguishing characteristics of the Kentucky Wild Gin are we buy from some smaller folks through the state of Kentucky, local botanicals. That's cool. And, you know, they're foraged from Kentucky. Not everyone by any means. But there's some goldenrod in there and, and other botanicals. Our juniper is actually comes from Kentucky and is foraged by folks and we pay them cash for it and so forth. So I think it has a personality of Kentucky in it. And then the other gin that we make, it's the one that I particularly love, is it's a barrel-aged gin. Mm. We won a double gold in San Francisco for that one. And it's aged and used New Riff bourbon barrels for six to nine months depending on the time of the year, the climate. Um, and it has a lot of personality to it. It's got a nice straw color to it. And again, that's, that's more unique. Mm-hmm. And again, it has that 
again, who needs another you know, vodka? I'm not picking on that. But here's something that has personality, both the wild gin and then a barrel-aged version of it. So, right. I need. We need to get our hands on some of that. Yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, we're big fans, especially we love gin, but the barrel-aged stuff is amazing. And if you're trying to convert your whiskey or bourbon purist friend over to gin, the barrel-aged gins are definitely a good vehicle for that. Is the gin only available at the distillery, or is it distributed just no. like... No, that, that's a core item, okay. and it's, it's uh, our, our public relations emphasis is all about our rye and our bourbon, but um, uh, most of our, yeah, around wherever we are, people will carry at least the Kentucky Wild Gin. Okay, all right. So it's, it's available. We're in about eight states at this point. We just don't have enough product as large as we are. You know, we, we made more and more every year as our budget would allow, and we, we haven't gotten real far, but we're in about eight or nine states at this point. Okay. And they carry our gin most places. Yeah. Awesome. All right. All right, Ken. So if people want to learn more about New Riff, where can they find you guys online and on social media? Well, thanks for asking. We're newriffdistilling.com or at newriff. Cool. Well, Ken, can't thank you enough for the time, yes. for the drinks. Um, you know, we got these in the office. I don't think they're going to last long. No, so. <laughs> they are not. And we uh, will be getting our hands on the gin sometime soon. Absolutely. We've got to taste that. And hopefully, yeah, if you want to, want to do a, like a barrel, barrel-aged gin, uh, gin off or whatever you want to call it, uh, let us know. We'll send you up a couple bottles, whatever you need. Yeah, and yeah, I think, perfect. I think we'll fare well, and keep an eye on us for some of these things, like that 100% malted rye. I'd like to come back, and or maybe you'll get Jay Arisman, who's a lot smarter than I am, the next time. Or how and about how about this? How about we come up there? That'd be fun. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. All right. I like that idea. Let's do that. Yeah, when the when the spring comes and the 100% malted rye comes out, why don't you come and do a broadcast right from us? I, I like that we'll idea. We'll do it. Done. Put Done. it on the Jay books. Jay and I both will be there. <laughs> All right. We'll put it on the books. And hey, maybe we'll bring a barrel back. Thank you. Yeah, maybe we'll bring a barrel back with us. Yeah, I'll do a pick while we're there. <laughs> yeah. We have been wanting to do a pick with you guys for a long time now. So maybe Excellent. we'll just maybe we'll just roll it all into one visit. Yeah. So good. well, Ken, cheers to you guys. Thank you for being on the show. We will be back soon. Yes. We'll be back. We'll go up there. Like yes. you're saying. Yes. Yeah, fellas. Until next week. Cheers. 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 Blue Collar Bourbon is part of the Lasting Media Network of Podcasts and is produced by John Fender, Jason Barrett, and Jonas Litton. QC by me, Mead Man, and edited by Ben Delameter and JoJo. Our theme music was written and recorded by Joe Nasty. Special thanks to Red Dog Wine and Spirits and Cool Springs Wine and Spirits in Franklin, Tennessee, and Elixir Spirits in Spring Hill, Tennessee. To learn more about any of the whiskeys we taste, visit thebluecollarbourbon.com. If you'd like to support the show, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash bluecollarbourbon and take advantage of the great rewards we have to offer. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts above .05 BAC. Bluecollarbourbon.com